You're listening to Coding Blocks, Episode 10. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcasting app. And check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find the show notes and examples and discussion and other stuff. Send your feedback, questions, and rants and comments to comments at codingblocks.net and follow us on Twitter at codingblocks and on Facebook at facebook.com slash codingblocks. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. Joe, or no, Michael, is getting ready to start us off with some news. Yeah, so uh, you know, if you haven't been paying attention in the .NET world, the build event was uh, in April, and The Verge put up a great video on uh, the build keynote speech in seven minutes. So uh, we'll include a link to that. But uh, it was it was an interesting take on on the build keynote. Did you watch it? What did you think of it? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, the keynotes keynote speeches in general at conferences are always a little bit fluffy. So um, you know, it's it's not really my thing. But I did like that I could watch it in seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, that, that part was nice. And I want to mention that we actually got that from, I'm not sure how to say the, the name, Patrick Dolan. So thank you, Patrick. Yeah, it was uh, the, only, the only thing is I wish that they had, they had included more developer-friendly stuff in that keynote. Or I in that, that seven-minute seven video. Yeah. It was very uh, Windows Phone, Windows Desktop OS-centric. Okay. But I'm glad I didn't spend three hours watching it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that. Well, there's that. Wasn't well, the keynote unless, three hours? Unless, That's a long unless you were there, then you'd have been happy to sit there. Man, those those sometimes the chairs of those conferences, man, it's worse than an airplane. <laughs> uh, like I'm a big dude, man. I'm I'm you know up in some people's space. <laughs> That's not comfortable for me. <laughs> so the uh, next piece of news is I got I got called out on Slammed. on Twitter, yes, for not having examples of my uh, mixed link love. So uh, I guess I'm going to have to buckle down and put together some homework, my friend. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So I need to put together a pie or not a pocket, a blog post on uh, how to mix the standard notation with lambdas and all that. So and it won't be hard to do. I guess I just completely forgot. So uh, thanks for calling me out there, Pascal Coder. I will try and get something together for that soon. Don't don't worry, Pascal. He deserved it. (laughs) All right. So uh, we also got some. uh, 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 blah. Some more feedback. Uh, I don't even know how you would start with that one. Lee Linglestone. Lee Inglestone. Ah, yeah. You see, so, there's a lot of e's there. Yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of e's, and that's what totally threw me off because I'm like Lee Linglestone. Uh, so how 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 do you say the int32 max value or the int64 max value? Yeah, I thought this was really cool because when you just see N32 and N64, they don't really seem that far apart. You know, you don't really get the scope of how different and how much bigger 64 is. Well, I know, I know, like, so even just today, I had a conversation where we were talking about the max value of N32, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, two billion something. I, I never bothered to go on, but but right. th- this uh, there was a ManchesterDeveloper.com uh, blog entry where it actually like wrote it out, and that's actually Lee's blog. So it's it's uh, two billion one hundred. Forty-seven million four hundred eighty-three thousand six hundred forty-seven is the int thirty-two max value. Don't confuse that with our Google Plus account. And that's sixteen <laughs> words. <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> All right, now hold on now, because I, I got to do the int sixty-four one. Hold on, nine quintillion. Quintillion. What did I say? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Let me start over. Quintillion. Nine quintillion. I'm making up my own numbers here. Nine quintillion. <laughs> 
223 quadrillion 372 trillion 36 billion 854 million 775,807. That is the amount of money in Bill Gates' account right now. <laughs> in 64 dot max value. Yeah, I tried counting the words, but I ran out of fingers and toes. <laughs> so it's quite a bit more. It's not double. It's it's a lot. So yeah, that's a, that's a great way to, to hear the difference between those numbers. So thanks, Lee. Yep, that was fun. And also, we wanted to mention, um, this was kind of a nice one. We... we uh, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's worked with some Linux guys before, and we're always hearing about you know how awesome open source on Linux, and and it, they, those things are awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it, you know it felt a little good. Maybe you know maybe I'm a little guilty, feeling a little guilty here, but it felt a little good to see uh, some of the <laughs> some of the Linux people that I know uh, get kind of smacked down with uh, Heartbleed. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think you're a little too excited. Yeah, about I'm, that. I'm coming off on the wrong side of this. I know, but totally. <laughs> like the whole internet just, suffers, and you're over there like cheering. I don't. I don't normally get to say, "Ha, Windows was safe," and so this is you know one of those times when I got to kind of wave that flag. So yeah, yeah Heartbleed. Uh, it was it was actually a terrible thing, though. I really shouldn't be talking about it. Yeah, That's that was rough. And anybody who doesn't know about it needs to go look it up right now. Especially if you run a website. Yeah, you, you need to know about this. So. And it wasn't just Linux. It was just uh, um, anything that's really using um, certain versions of OpenSSL, and you could kind of get some secrets from servers, which is really bad, especially since um, there wasn't really a good way of knowing if someone got your secrets. So there were a lot of search changing hands, and a lot, just a lot of work happened in a couple of days there in early April. Yep. So there was some good that came out of this, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you got to look for the silver lining. Um, <clears throat> because, well, not only did the entire Internet update their certificates, at the same time, <laughs> on uh, so last week on April twenty fourth, uh, there was a new initiative started by a, mu- a bunch of the major players uh, called the Core Infrastructure Initiative, and the idea being that uh, you know all these major companies would contribute money in to help support these smaller underfunded open source initiatives so that um, maybe problems like this can be avoided in the future. Right. So, you know, silver lining in in there somewhere. Yep. And also, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, preventative measures and and security, uh, Microsoft put out a really nice threat modeling tool. And if you've ever tried to do any sort of threat modeling without a, a um, an official threat modeling tool, you'll know it's it's kind of hard to find uh, and get the the shapes right for. You can't create those stupid arcs. That's right. <laughs> so uh, Microsoft put out a free tool. It's really awesome. We talked about that a little bit in episode four. So make sure you check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes. It, it is quite nice. And, and the sad part is, is I just finished up some threat modeling literally the week before it came out. Yeah, <laughs> and then Microsoft. Rough like taunts me with it like oh yeah remember all those stencils that you had to create by hand yeah, yeah here you go buddy and now they're, you put up there and asking like why don't you just use the tool right yeah, why why do you why yeah. i don't understand why you reinvented everything <laughs> also want to mention i know we're always harping you guys for reviews and we actually got a really nice review on stitcher from johnny moniker so want to say thank you very much for that johnny moniker i'm yeah. not convinced that's his real name um and uh, also, I, so while I may not have written an article about, you know, how to mix Lambda with regular, you know, query notation and link, uh, I did put together a couple of uh, blog posts. One was on database schema thoughts for multiple types of products. So um, 
really, if you want to go take a look at this, this was me basically just thinking through some uh, database uh, layout for doing potentially like a, a review a review type layout or application. And uh, there were some, some neat things that I ran into and uh, just thinking through some of the scalability problems and actual UI problems that you face when you start trying to build things that are flexible. So uh, maybe this will be something that would help you out in what you're doing. And maybe you have some suggestions. And if so, love to hear your comments on it. So we'll leave that link in the show notes for you. And uh, Outlaw also wrote something that he's going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So I put up a a new uh, entry called the Reflection of Control. I was really uh, trying to come up with a better name, and and that was about as good as I got. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, so so the idea was just trying to, uh, in short, you have a, a brownfield application. You'd like to introduce uh, some loose coupling, in, you know, into your application, um, and for one reason or another, dependency, uh, you know bringing in a dependency injection just isn't going to uh, maybe work with your time schedule or whatnot, but you, you still want to use the intent of what that would do for you. And so, uh, you know, I call it reflection of control. Uh, I wanted to call it poor man's inversion of control, but uh, that was already taken. And so that's where the uh, of control portion came in. But uh, yeah, it does use reflection uh, as, as the, uh, mechanism for finding the classes, but, uh, it is, it is an exercise in loosely coupled classes. So maybe, uh, some listeners will read it and, um, you know, get some feedback on it. Maybe have some ideas on how to expand on it, or maybe they'll find some use for it. Yeah. I actually really like the name. I, I keep thinking it was like, it's almost like Metallica is the band names, like reflection of control. It just sounds cool. <laughs> like, man, you should buy that domain name and nothing else matters. Um, so uh, one other article I threw together uh, recent, well, not so recently, was uh, Link Lazy Loading and just talking about how uh, it can be one of those gotchas if you're new to Link. Uh, so that that might help some people out there who struggle with understanding why after they've put in a Link command, they don't have any data out. So uh, you can go check that out. Also, we'll have that in the uh, show notes. And I do want to mention as well that Joe also has started writing about 20 different uh, blog posts. I think he'll finish them up at some point. <laughs> oh, no, I don't finish them. I thought, <laughs> I thought I write the drafts and you guys finish them. Okay, so I might actually go in and, like, tweak a few of them so that he'll have, like, I mean, like, he'll literally triple the content on our site as soon as, as, soon as they get published. So. I, I think that might be what happened with uh, Alan's Lambda and, and Link uh, article. Absolutely. That's, right. That's just hanging out there in the ether somewhere. It, you know, I would be surprised if it was I'm totally making that up, Pascal <laughs> Coder. You were totally right to call him out on yeah, it. That was just... pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, getting on to the topic of the show today, we're basically going to be going over this thing called Roslyn that you may have heard about and uh, some of the features coming out in C-sharp 6. So uh, uh, I'm going to let Joe, because I'm pretty certain he put this title in here. He, <laughs> he can introduce it. That's funny because this is totally a, a title that Michael would do, and I'm sure he would have if I hadn't beaten him to it. But the, uh, the, the title we've got here in the, in the show notes is Pour Some Sugar On Me. And for all you people from back in the 80s, you know exactly what Wait, that is. So are you trying to insinuate that I'm back from the 80s? Well, you, um, you know what? It's like weird. what? The, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of one what of your things. The actual what? <laughs> but uh, see, I'm the one who's actually putting the pour some sugar on me and referencing Metallica. 
and, and Alan here was singing Cherry Pie before the show. <laughs> so I don't know, man. You're kind of well, losing I'm, some ground. Dude, there. I'm on Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, Outlaw's actually over there twerking during the show. That's fairly disturbing. Uh, Outlaw did give us the history of Cherry Pie, though. He did. So, maybe we'll have to have a link to that in the uh, show notes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, with that, I guess we'll just get started on some of the features coming up and we'll do our best to tell you whether or not they're actually done and you can download the source code and check them out or whether they're planned. Um, but yeah, now this is going to be a completely, we're going to discuss every single feature period of the ever. Yeah. Why not? I mean, we may not go deep into them because some of them were actually joking. We're not. There's a lot. And there's like 20 or something, too. So you, you'll probably have to excuse us a little bit as we kind of tab around to figure oh out no, which ones. There's which more the than 20. Ambiguous. Well, I don't know. The numbers are messed up and uh, nobody fixed them. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of shocking. And there's no, two no, threes. There's definitely more than 20. That, that's the point I was trying to make, though, is that there's a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of features. Yeah, there are. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. So we, we basically um, grabbed the ones that we could find and find examples of, and uh, we're going to talk about them. You know, it was really difficult to find some, like, information on what all of these features were like you could find like little one-liners on some of them but to try to find like actual details into it it was more difficult than i expected it to be yeah Yeah, we actually had to do some homework it it was kind of ridiculous the examples were not clear in some situations so so why don't we start off with uh one of the new features coming out primary constructors oh yeah i actually really like this one so i i don't know what it is about constructors but Maybe it's just I don't know where they belong in the method. If you're trying to be singly responsible, then you've got this weird method that's next to your one method in your class. And so it just takes up a lot of room. And usually you're doing something simple like taking some variables and setting them to some properties. And uh, this primary constructor, it basically lets you slap the parentheses and arguments up there next to your class name. So the example we've got here is like class point parentheses in X and Y. And uh, I think that's pretty rad. Yeah, and to add on top of it, one of the really cool things is that uh, Michael and I were discussing earlier is that gives you your primary constructor, but it also sets up your your properties right. as well inside the constructor. So you don't have to write below your class definition, you know, then put all your properties. You can actually have it auto-create those things for you and be ready for the rest of your class. So it kind of does everything in this one method call. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it really cleans up a lot of boilerplate. Yeah, it, it does. And it definitely creates those variables. It wouldn't do you a lot of good to just uh you know, have the uh the signature of the constructor there without actually doing anything. Well, no, I for thought you. that the I thought the that it didn't create the properties unless you declared a uh access modifier on them in yes, your in That's your correct. So properties, in your in yes. your point int x int y example, you're not declaring the property for it. You're just defining like it, you know those are your constructor in. parameters. Yeah, these are some member variables that are going to get set. Well, no, no they're no, parameter. No. They're what he's. They're what Alan said. They are the parameters coming into the constructor that you could then use in the class right. to say that this property capital X equals this lowercase X that was in my you know my class line. So mm-hmm. if I have class class point int lower X comma int lower Y, and in my property I have you know int upper x i can say it equals that lower x but that upper that but that there's not an automatically a property being created for it unless right. in the class 
declaration line, you put public. I, act, I added a access modifier right. to it, okay. and then it would. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was missing. So if you add like the public keyword on there, then you get what I was talking about, where it adds in as like member variables. <laughs> so okay. my take on this though is like Fields. it. It it seems like for a small class like this is going to be some nice little extra sugar, right? But if you, you know, I could see this getting out of hand where, you know, if you have uh, a half dozen, dozen different properties, then this could just get gross if you're defining all of that in, in line. It just seems like it would be a bad form uh, from a coding standards point of view if you were to do too much with it. Not to mention if you were inheriting a class and then implementing several interfaces. I could just see now that class line getting out of control. Oh, that's so many different reasons to change, though. <laughs> So maybe at that point uh, that class is doing a little too much. Well, okay, I won't argue with you that. <laughs> I won't argue that. But but my point though is like it. it oh, and that's why world. I said for small classes. Oh, uh, I, I didn't realize we were talking about reality. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, well, I probably should have prefaced the that. The one thing that I'm not real clear on with this though is the primary constructor. What about classes that have multiple constructors? Like so, this is the only thing that I, that bothers me about it is if you have the primary constructor, which is what we're talking about here, and you have the couple parameters coming in, you can define your properties in there. Well, what if you have other constructors for the class that have different inputs? Do There'd you just be a different signature there? Different signature, but is how are the properties getting set up? They're not. That's that that's what I'm saying. That's so, why you'd have that other that that other signature handling it. So, but that's that's my whole point. If you called this other constructor, would you still have to have all your public string first name? Well, this up is above? where I see this getting out of control. Is yeah. Someone will go, oh, well, you know what? I should add this in to this primary constructor. Let me add in, you know, int z now, so that I can also call that one. And oh crap, I need an int a and a b c d. Yeah, and then some of your variables are declared here, and some are other places. It yeah. just gets kind of weird. So yeah. this is definitely something that's nice for light classes. But once you start getting heavy, it just yeah. the benefit starts to fall away. I, I yeah. definitely see it light class being nice sugar there. Yeah. So, uh, who who wants to do the read only auto properties? I think we all do. We're all <laughs> we're all super excited. I think Michael's about the king this. of read only. Uh, yeah, I mean this seem this is just like uh, you know the read only auto properties. This is just adding on, isn't it, to to the primary constructors? Because we already had the ability to do read only properties, right? Mm-hmm. But but now this ability to assign it uh, from the primary constructor, or am I thinking of this wrong? No, I think that's right because um, you can set basically say that it only has a get on it inside your primary, right? If I remember right, when we were looking through. Well, that's this. what the that's what the read only portion would be is yeah. if you only provided a uh, yeah. a get to yeah. it. But but this is where you're assigning a value to it on that same line. So you're able to say like a get colon and then outside of your brackets, say equals whatever. Uh, that's the, other. the initializers. That's a little bit different, right? No, not from the reading that I saw. It was, it was, it seemed like it was an add on to the primary constructor usage. So in the primary constructor usage that we just talked about, right? Uh, we said something along the lines of a uh, class point, and in parentheses int x int y and then on your uh where you define that member variable or the property you would have like int x uh and then in curly braces get colon and then equals your lowercase x from your class line that's the that's the um read only auto property that's being set there but because you're not it's the auto property because you're not defining a 
member variable for that property. Okay. But it's read only because you're only providing a get, but at the same time you're initializing it all at the same time and it seems it seems like it's very related to the primary constructor feature. Well, it, it actually sounds more like the next one that we were going to talk about, which is the uh, property initializers. The auto property initializers, it sounds like it's the same thing, except you're just setting the get. Oh, you know what? No, I'm thinking of this totally wrong. Yeah, I, that's... Uh, the, the whole idea, though, is that because you don't have the the member variable for it, how do you initialize that value for it? Yes. And this is how you could do that. Right. And uh, Damien G is actually got uh, on DamienG.com. I assume that's his name. Uh, he's got a really nice uh, post on probable C-sharp. I thought it was Damien Engine. Oh, I like that too. And we'll have a link to this in the show notes. We're actually going to mention a little bit later on. But um, he's actually got a really nice illustration of what this used to look like. And in his example is um, he's got a private read-only integer X, like a member variable set up private. And then he's got a getter with a capital X that just uh, returns that variable. And now we've taken that, you know, those two lines with maybe nine words and we've condensed it down to five words, one line. Cool. And it's nice if you're doing a lot of immutable type stuff. And he's got a really nice blog post that it gives, you know, as we mentioned, it was really hard to find information. And there's still a, a lot of kind of head scratching going on around the internet trying to figure out exactly what is meant by some of these features. Yeah, so again, that takes us into the next one, which was the auto property initializer, which is similar to the read-only, except now you have a get set, so you can do both of them. But what's beautiful is, is in the past, if you had something like uh, public int x, you'd have get set in your in your curly braces, and then on the next line, maybe you'd have, you know, x equal, you know, 10. Well, now you can do it all on the same line. You can say public int x get set equal 10. Well, this one makes even less sense because now now that I was talking through the other one, it kind of makes more sense because the whole point of the auto, the read-only auto property there, the value of it is that you weren't providing the set method. Right. But yet at the same time, you wanted it to be an auto property that you could initialize some value, but you because you want it to be an auto property, you're not assigning, uh, uh, you know, you're not using some local member variable to to be what you're returning. But in this example, though, for the where they were talking about the auto property initializers, where they provided a set, a get and a set, it makes less sense to me. Why? No, like, no. What's, what's the big deal now? You can do it all on the same line. You don't have to do it on two separate lines. That's the that's the only advantage. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's less typing, right? <laughs> it yeah. seems like very little less. You know, it, it doesn't really seem like there's well, a. No. So the way I kind of think of it is, um, it's really nice for defaulting something. If yeah. You want to default something to 10, then it's kind of gross that you de- declare the variable up here and then 30 lines below, uh, it's defaulted to something. But if you just have on the one line, if you're scrolling through the code, you can see, oh, here's what's declared and here's its default value. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I totally get that. But uh, I, like I said, I was saying that it makes the, the, the read only version makes a whole lot more sense, like w- the actual benefit there. I like them both. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I won't use it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm saying I don't like it. I like I like typing less. It's not at the top of my wish list, but I'll take it. Right, yeah, no, I agree. So uh, the next one that we have on the list is static type using statements. Yeah, and so the example they, they give here, which is really nice, is um, they now say using system.math and then call methods like cosine, absolute value, square root throughout your code without doing the math.square root, math.cosine, math.abs. Uh, so that's really nice um, sort of. <laughs> but I, I don't like the the thought of having these kind of classes that look like, or sorry, these methods that look like they're part of my class when they're really part of this other static class that's kind of hiding up there in the usings. 
Yeah. It, I guess if you had a class that's doing like a lot of console right lining, um, then you should probably be using Log4Net or something. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's kind of nice that you can trim that console dot off of all of your code. Although, really, what you would do there, is, or what I would do there, is just instead of writing console dot right line in 100 lines um, and throughout my code, I would make one function called right line and just have it um, abstract that away. But now you don't need to. You can just say using system.console. Yep, and then you're good. This is interesting. So you're actually saying it's you're not importing the namespace. You're actually importing the static class. All right, and then... Uh, well, this is importing all the static methods into the current namespace. Yes. Not yes. the oh, class. So, you could, so it doesn't have to be a static class necessarily? So, so that's where like the math.square root, math.round, all of that comes into play. Okay. So yeah, math may not be a static class, but those are static methods. Mm-hmm. I'll have to dot peek that to, to <laughs> see. <laughs> All right. The next thing we had on the list was property expressions. Yeah, and we actually it's kind of funny. We talked about this a little bit in the link episode. How um, it, there's something similar you can do is with um, variables inside of a method scope. You can say var x arrow sign um, one plus two, and uh, that'll you know set up a function that adds one plus two whenever you invoke that x. But now we're saying you can do this outside of the method scope. So you can have these really lightweight, um, simple-looking functions. It actually looks a lot like a functional programming, like F-sharp type stuff, or, or like Lisp, where you can define these, um, and we're actually talking about properties, sorry. I got a little ahead of ourselves. You can uh, define these properties as expressions with very little syntax. So it looks something like, um, you know, I could have a property name tomorrow, arrow sign, date time dot now dot date add one day. Yeah, so the... The, we talked about this too because like one of the things that I said that I missed before were the macros from the C and C++ days. And this reminds me a lot of being able to, to bring that type of feature back. Hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely um, it's uh, missing braces. And I like braces, so that's, it's a little hard for me. But, you know, if it trims lines of code out, then uh, I'll think about it. Well, I guess that would depend on like how how... Uh, complicated you needed your expression to be there right well <laughs> if we once we get to a semicolon operator you can get pretty complicated yeah hmm we'll talk about that in a sec yeah so huh. so then we have method expressions which is essentially the same type thing except now you're defining a method using lambda lambda expression yep so we had um real lightweight properties now we've got lightweight methods so you can give that same, you know, tomorrow example, except now we say maybe get tomorrow parentheses, and then the rest is the same. Yep. Pretty straightforward. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, both both of these, to me, are in the same camp, as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're both uh, macros. Yeah, and so that's five, and I think every one of these was actually a done item. So these are things that in the, um, the actual Roslyn guide, as of today, uh, April 30th, these are actually marked as done. And the next one up is something that's planned, but I really hope they do because I really like this one. And that is uh, params for enumerables. So right now, if you have a function that takes an uh, like uh, any number of arguments, say, like, for example, um, string.format or console.writeline, something like that, where you take in a what is right now an array of objects, and you can do, or actually array of any type, and you can do um, you know list-type operations on them, now you can actually take in a new, uh, strongly typed enumerable, enumerable of something, 
and do the same type of stuff, which is good for for me. What I was doing with that um, those params before was basically converting to a list and doing whatever I wanted before. And now I can just kind of take it in as an enumerable and go. Man, so you, your your code's going to get a lot more simple then. Yep. You won't no. have to like convert your enumerables to a, to a list and your list to an enumerable and then back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, right. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this spare time. <laughs> uh, oh, the monadic or monadic null checking. This is yeah, my favorite. I, I can't even say that one. Yeah, uh, known as the safe navigation operator. It's elsewhere. beautiful. Yeah, how do they rename that somehow and make it worse? Yeah, make like it impossible safe to navigation, say. navigation, oh. natic, something. Nobody's going to be able to say that. Yeah. Monadic, and we'll check in it, here. It's going to get like uh, truncated down to like the mono operator or something. I bet if you took a vote, this would mono. probably be one of the favorite features coming up. Definitely. Period. I mean, I know it is for me. Yeah, we talked about in the link episode how um, null checks can really uglify your link expressions. And now we can work around that a little bit. And it's, it also reminds a little bit of the coalesce uh, operation from SQL. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're familiar with that, you can basically say, if this is null, give me the next one. Um, and in this case, you're actually saying, only get this property if the parent is not null. So you can kind of string along these things until you get the value. And if if any of those values along the, the line uh, don't exist or are null, then you're going to get null back. And if right. it does exist, you'll get that final value on the far no most. No more right first or defaults. I can just first everything. Well, what this replaces yeah. really when you look at it is the whole if parent is not null, then this. If child is not null, then this. If grandchild is not null, then this. So this makes that thing just like one line of code. It's just so freaking well, easy to do. Well, the joke that I was I was working on, though, was that from a, from a link point of view, if you were to call like, you know, whatever your list is like uh, or your whatever your object is uh, dot first or default and then check to see like okay is it is it not null then I can call on my additional right. uh, uh, commands on it instead I'd be able to just do a first and then the safe navigation operator or however you would say that <laughs> monadic null mon- check yeah that <laughs> that then and, and then keep on going doesn't first throw an exception though if there's no item? Oh, you caught yeah, you'd me. have to do first or default. I was wondering to see like who's going to catch that. <laughs> well, what I like is uh, you can say stuff like rather than saying if customer is not equal null, then if customer dot order is not equal null, mm-hmm. then if customer dot order dot payments is not equal null, do something. Now I could just say customer question mark dot order dot question mark dot payments dot do what I actually want to do. Yeah, it's it's so sweet. It makes it so pretty. Yeah, that, that is really nice. Um, we got to come up with a better name. I've heard exclamation points referred to as bangs. You guys ever heard that? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, like yes. wax. So, you know, if someone's, you know, speaking in Perl or something. Uh, I don't know what the question mark is, but yeah. I could say like quiz bang dot, quiz bang dot. <laughs> quiz bang. <laughs> nice. I'm not actually recommending that, by the way. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that one. <laughs> I hope that doesn't catch on. I hope I didn't just start a fire. <laughs> yeah, there's the actually the. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, that's URL. <laughs> yes, nobody call it Earl. Yeah, if you really want to make Alan mad, start calling him Earl. So yes, we'll, no, the, we'll it, block it, you from Twitter. It reminded me about the uh, when when you were saying the about the uh, the bang splat, the wacka wacka bang splat poem. <laughs> I don't know that one. 
Uh, yeah, we we'll, all gotta Google this. We'll we'll throw it up in the uh in the show notes, but it's a uh, wacka wacka bang splat tick tick hash carrot at back tick dollar dollar dash bang splat tick dollar underscore percent splat waka waka number four ampersand right paren dot dot slash vertical bar curly bracket tilde tilde crash. Okay, wow. so just for those of you out there, I'm gonna fill you in on something. Outlaw has been to the ends of the internet. He's seen it all. <laughs> this is He's actually the, like a no, really the, old poem. Poem though, this is not like you did know. Did you ever hear this one, Joe? Uh, I just googled it. So now I'm pretty sure this, this is like th- this predates the internet. It says 19. Well, maybe not predate the internet, but <laughs> it appeared. Okay, here it is. It says a 1990 yeah. issue of In Focus magazine. So it's pretty old. 1990. Yeah. Let's think about that. That was back about in the That's day. Back when of pour some poems. sugar on me, right? right. <laughs> coincidence hey we're on full circle yes so yes there we go all right what's the next one we got constructor type parameter inference yeah let's get excited let's get excited yeah so this one if if i was understanding it correctly rather than having to do uh your your brackets i'm sorry not brackets but uh your your alligators to do like a list and if you're going to do a new list, normally, you, okay, I don't know. Let me back up. <laughs> you thinking of generics as they exist today, like if you were going to uh, instantiate a new list object, you would say something like new list alligator int, and then in, maybe you'd have some values, um, but let's just say you did an empty parentheses, semicolon, boom, you're done, right? And now going with the constructor type parameter inference, you wouldn't have to do the alligator int if you were providing the type so you could do new list and then in parentheses one comma two comma three and it would infer that yeah right? it would know that you had integers as your type yep and the example they give is actually for the tuple class where before you would have to say var x equals new tuple int 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 and then one two three for your values now you can just do the one two three and it's going to figure out the int, int, int for you so it's kind of cool it's almost like having var inside of those um an implicit var inside of your uh, instantiations of the generics. Well, specific to the to the list example that I gave, though, like okay, so um, if you were going to have a list instantiated at the time that, that you newed it up, right, it'd be new list, and then in curly braces one two three in that example, right? But you could just do just new, regular parens, uh, curly braces. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, to actually yeah, give but, it. Yeah, but but you could just skip existing today then list. Uh, type all together and just do new curly brace one two three curly brace and it would infer that uh, based off of you know the type that you were initializing right so so that kind of functionality uh, already existed right. you know yeah. or or the ability I should say to to but but we're also only just talking about generics here. You can do this with classes as well. Right. So yeah. your example is specific to list. That's some syntax that Sugar that they added a while yes. back. Right. That's, class, that's what I was like, trying to cl- clarify. Yeah. So if I had like generic object brain, you know, bracket, or sorry, um, class that does something, uh, gators, and then uh, my generic class now can um, get that inferred rather than having to specify that T up front. Right. So it's it's interesting. I mean, it might be useful. Um, All right, that? so inline declarations for out params. Love it. <laughs> Love. Oh that yeah, one. and that one. Every time I I read the description, I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. And then I realize what that actually means. 
And it's those triparses, man. Yes. Yeah. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've had because okay, so we're I'm probably gonna start a holy war here. Because everywhere I can use VAR, I use VAR, but then there'll be those times where I don't want to say like int uh, or I don't want to say like var i equals zero and then i equals int triparse, uh, you know, some string and then, you know, so, uh, or, well, I guess the triparse would have been back. Uh, you have to do the out. You have to out do the out for instead I, of that, right. instead of the equal, cause that would have returned back the Boolean. But, uh, you know, the point being is like, there are times where, you know, resharper will complain to me. It's like, well, you're not even using this value, so you might as well just declare the type rather than use var. And it's like, but, but I, I wanted to use var. Yeah, I don't want to have like five vars in one int. Yeah, I actually, I'm, in those cases, I'd prefer not to use var. And we've talked about this before with the holy war type stuff, unless it's clear. Now, if you say var i equals zero, yes. But if you just say var i, that's horrible. Well, you can't do that. That's right. the point. It won't let you. So you yeah. have to initialize it. Yeah. And and if you were to initialize it and then not use it, then you know you're going to get your hand slapped by, by resharper, <laughs> or you know maybe you have some other tool that is doing that. But yeah, so so it's the one place where like I'll have to. Uh, you know, declare it, and now I won't have to because now I can just do it in line in my tripars. Yeah. So coming around full circle on what he's talking about is instead of now having those separate lines, now you can just say try uh, int dot triparse and then some value and then out i and you're done. It defines i for you and assigns no, the value. No out var out var i. Yeah. Oh, um, but it assigns the value for you and creates. You it could at that specifically time. call it back out as like out int i if you wanted to. But specifically in some of the Microsoft documentation, they they were using var. Yeah, it's yes! it's yeah. absolutely var. beautiful because now you can do it all in one line. Take and that, it, Vlad. That also. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Vlad's not a fan of, of var uh, that much. Uh, but this this I I actually want us to come back to this when we get to the semicolon thing because I wonder if you could almost because you remember it was split across multiple lines. Now you'd actually be able to do everything on a single line separated by semicolons without having to do that. We'll hit that in a minute. Uh, so okay. it, it might even be a decent uh, example on that one. Okay. So uh, uh, the next one, this one I actually thought was really cool. This one's exception filters. Uh, so basically when you have try-catch statements, one of the problems that you have in the past is um, all your errors would go into your catch. Well, if you weren't trying to capture or you didn't care about particular types of errors, you would have to rethrow. And the problem that you have there is that modifies your stack. It now knows that you've touched it somewhere in the middle. So now what you can have is you can actually have a filter that's tacked on to the end of the uh, the catch statement there. And you can say, hey, if it meets this criteria, then come into my catch. Otherwise, skip it. And what that does is that allows you to not modify the stack if you're not wanting to catch for that type of error. So it's pretty cool. I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, What? No, I don't like it. What, what, because what? then my application might throw an exception. I have to have my general purpose catch there so that my application runs bug free. And you put that you put a comment in that says do nothing, right? Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> supposed to, you know, yeah. just, just this ignore it. This was an accident. Why would you think that? Ignore it. Move <laughs> on. Nothing to see. Yeah. Uh, what this reminds me of is um when you set conditional breakpoints. So you set your um your breakpoint and you right click do a little condition that says only break when X equals five, something like that. So now you can kind of do something similar with your exceptions and not rooting the call stack is wonderful. Yeah, I, I love that. 
Uh, and and if you're doing web type stuff where you're having to trace through a bunch of pages and controls and whatnot, this really helps you nail down where the the error came from without getting a bunch of garbage in the middle. Yep, absolutely. All right, so who wants to get really excited now about some? Here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm going there. Binary literals. All three of you Boom! in the world. <laughs> yep. There's one guy that's really happy about this somewhere. Yeah, they're probably doing a little bit more low-level programming than yeah. we are, right? I've seen I've done a little messing around with binary, just kind of no no good reason for doing it like this. But it has been kind of a pain because like it's almost like you like you create an int and then you like somehow convert it to a byte, and it's just kind of this gross hacky way. But now I can just say zero b one one zero one one zero whatever. The, the only time I've cared about like having hex values in my code, or or even like if I've wanted binary, uh, if I wanted binary literals in my code, would have been for like flags for like uh, yeah. oring stuff together. permissions or something. Yeah, yeah if I'm gonna if I want to be able to like or a bunch of values together, which you know, that's the only really time I can't I can't get excited about this one. I mean, it's cool, right? It's a it's a shorthand, but I mean, it kind of um, does make you wonder though. It's like, wow, why did it take so long? Yeah, but I, you know, because because you no never cares. noticed that it was there, yeah. right? And not a lot of people were complaining about it. So here we are, you know, years later. Yeah, and they oh, already yeah. had this for hex. You know, the whole zero x ff whatever thing. Right. So now we're gonna have zero b. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's there. And I hate flags, by the way. What? Well, well, yeah, when you do the flags like on an enum or something, or, or you just have like some sort of byte array and you order them together. Man, that was how Win thirty two API worked. Man, how so are you it's talking gross. about? So it's it's totally fine if. All your flags. How are you going to define your window if you didn't or all the attributes of what the window soon, is supposed to look like? As soon as you add one mutually exclusive flag, then the whole thing is all screwed up. So it's fine if you can have one and two and you know five, and those all make sense together. But as soon as you start saying, "Oh well, I can have seven, but not seven and two at the same time," because these things, it's either you know this feature is on or this feature is off, or these things don't make sense to exist together. You can then, do that. Well, um, you can't really, huh? So let's say we've got a, a flag set, and um, you know, value one is, uh, I don't know, uh, diet coke, and value two is cherry syrup, and because it, it always well, ends but up they would have been numbers that like, hold on, semi-related. Hold on, stuff. if we're going to talk about examples, they would they would they wouldn't have been string values like that that we were going to or together. So, well, like, the, well, I'm thinking back to my Win32. They're not strings, they, but they represent yeah, you yeah. Know, things in the real world. Yeah, one's, one's, right. one's going to be your Diet Coke and two's going to be your cherry syrup. All right. It would have been something like you can't, border, a bordered window with, uh, and then the window has the minimize and maximize at, attributes, you know, or... Yeah. Uh, see, I, I'm imagining those big Coke machines that have like five guys now where you go and it's like, you could do oh, the Coke God, with the lime or whatever. Machines. Oh, they're amazing. Oh, they're horrible. Oh. Okay, we'll get back to that. But, <laughs> but you know, like if you had implemented something that like that with flags and like the you know the underlying machine code, whatever, then you might have had like uh, a bit that represents diet and a bit that represents lime and a bit that represents cherry. But the problem is, you can have diet and lime or diet and cherry, but you can't have lime and cherry. So now you've got these flags where you have to kind of remember that. I can have this one and this one together, but I can't have this one and this one together. And oh, so the, now you have to have mappings of what can and can't go together yeah. in your in your binary stuff. Huh. And it, it seems like every time I see flags, that always ends up being an issue. And then, like at some point, the whoever you know is actually using that data has to decide. Well, you chose cherry and lime, 
So uh, you're getting cherry, <laughs> and I don't like that. That's that structure and that rule isn't really enforced anywhere. Hmm. You're you're gonna make me like try to go back and and write some code on this one because it's been a long time since I've had it. See, this is why this this is why I can't get excited about this feature. I've used this feature so little in, in recent years yeah. Yeah. that I'm even trying. I'm having trouble to think back, and the only code that's even coming to mind is from the '90s. Yeah. I've used it in permission systems before for roles for like read write. I mean, think about Linux. Code, right? that, code that you wrote? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so, but this, I mean, this is kind of how Linux operates with its file permission system, well, right? And, so, and be clear by you wrote, I meant like you were defining the flags yourself. Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. Saving them in a database and then pulling them back out and doing the ending and all that in the application. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but it's one of those things that you do once and you you never touch afterwards, right? So. Um, well, I guess if you're excited about the binary literals, you're going to love this next this one. This next one's a doozy. Because let me tell you, hold on, brother, hold on. <laughs> Here it comes. I'll be back. Digit separator. Mm. And if I'm reading this one correctly, I actually do like it a little bit because, um, you know, originally I kind of thought that the digit separator meant like if you have the number 1000 rather than 1000, you could say, one underscore zero 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 in place of like the comma for us U.S. folks or maybe, you know, the period if you're a Korean and there's all sorts of different separators. And it kind of helps you um, if you're ever been the kind of person who's like counted the number zeros to see if you did 10 seconds or 100 seconds, um, then this kind of helps you. But uh, it looks like you can actually put this digit separator wherever you want. Okay. So if you've got some sort of number or especially hex that um, you know, oh, God. some significance. Here we to, go again. Or, you know, if, if it was binary. Right, and you want to break up this big binary number that you did with the zero B and then sixteen bytes. You could actually separate that into you know groups of four or something logical that makes sense to you and reads easily. Yeah, you can do it with decimals too, like they pointed out earlier. Like uh, you know, instead of having to count places, you can put them where the commas would be, and it doesn't really do anything. To the number it just makes it more readable. Yeah, so. I've got like RGB color. I can say FF, you know, underscore OO underscore OO. Yeah, it, it's just visually helpful. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So wait a second. What do you have against those awesome Coke machines? Oh man, <laughs> you live in Atlanta. Are you a Pepsi fan? Is that what's going on? No, it, it has no. Here's the problem: is in the the old school style machine, you could have at least a couple people that could use the machine at the same time. Now you got one machine, so you got a single queue for it. And it's always somebody who's confused by how to use the machine that has to sit there for five minutes to figure out how to use it. And then once they do figure out how to use it, now they're just inundated with choice and they don't know which one to pick when really they're going to get the same Coke they've always gotten. Oh, man, I just realized I'm that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, I got a complex now. I was at Fuddruckers the other day and I was like, let me try a mix of the lime and the cherry and the the lemon and the uh, vanilla root beer. And then I look behind me like, oh my gosh, there's like three people back here. So like, you're like the seven-year-old again. And I'm like, there's only seven left. <laughs> Whatever. Well, this is awkward. No, I will terrible. say though, I'm a fan of the machine from the sheer uh, availability of different products. I do not like the fact that I have to touch a machine that other people are touching when I'm eating food. Like that drives me crazy because there's this nasty touch now screen. Who has OCD? Yeah. No, come on, man. You know people don't wash their hands when they when they walk out of certain lo- kids laboratory. Touch it. That's all you need. Yeah, to yeah. Man. And I mean, there's like fingerprints all over it, and you know you're having to touch the same exact spot everybody else did because they had to push that button right there in the middle. I'm not a yeah. fan. 
And it, man, but it is you. 144 choices. Yeah. And, and by the way, that actually makes me mad when somehow it defaults to like a grape or a cherry or something. I just want a Sprite. And all of a sudden it comes out green or red, and I'm mad. <laughs> the, the, the person before you got the, you know some grape soup, something weird, and you're like, oh. I got some grape in your Sprite. Yeah, it's it, it cool. frustrating. Yeah, I always got to push that push button first to just let like a little bit of it go before you put it in your cup. <laughs> oh. No, because you know, I mean, but it, it gives you more opportunities to touch the same button that other people were touching yeah, that's what, after man. they got out of the bathroom. Uh, next time, I'm just gonna lick my finger before I go up there oh. and stick it around. Oh, and Jesus, it. <laughs> you're in line behind me then. Wow. Uh, all right, so yes, movie. Just, just yeah, wait for not, me to get back from the bathroom before you get your drink. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, it's coming to a fast restaurant, fast food restaurant near you. Yeah, I think enough. Burger Kings have them too. So, yes, <laughs> all fine dining restaurants. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so where are we at now? What, what have we got? So we did we the digit thir- separator, number thirteen-ish. So so thirteen-ish. <laughs> we are on. I think that's fourteen now, right? Hold on. No, hold, don't don't One, two don't three start. three. Four. It would be like it'd be like eleven or ten. All right. The indexed members and element initializers and accessors. Hate it. Well, I hate, like it. Hey, well, where, where's this dollar sign symbol come from? Okay, well, okay. So, all right, so uh, now it's, it's just starting to look like pro. Like the deal is that you can do this dollar sign instead of square brackets in the quotes, and so you save a couple characters. But at what cost? This is so that the Perl developers will feel more, more comfortable in C sharp. I think they're trying to bring in the jQuery guys. I think that's what's going on. Oh, you think it's jQuery? Guys? Uh, yeah, it's closer to jQuery. I think. I, I, I don't know. It, it's all right. I mean, it's it's a shorthand for being able to create objects that that resemble JSON type stuff. So it's it's a quick way of basically nesting objects, from what I can tell. Well, I mean, like one of the examples that I saw was specifically, uh, you know, imagine you have an array. So j- you have some array, and you have the uh, you, normally to access that you would use your brackets, right? And then you'd put your indexer in it, right? And they were saying that with this new feature, you'd be able to do J dot dollar and then that uh, variable. Mm-hmm. Right? That seems very Perl-like to me. And can you nest them so you get like multiple dollar signs in one line? I think so. Hate it. So if it was a two-dimensional, if it was a two-dimensional array, you'd have like you know uh, my array dot dollar x dot. Well, no, that, that's dollar not X, really... Dollar Y? I don't know that that's the, the two-dimensional I, I, arrays. I don't... Let's hope it doesn't go there. But I don't think with the arrays you had to use the dollar signs. It was only with objects. I think with the arrays you could actually do... Mm, all... The example that I saw was specifically on an array. If I remember right, I could have sworn, but I mean... I think what it is about the dollar sign is it's not semantic. It doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, I see the, yeah. the safe navigation operator, the question mark. That kind of, you know, it... it lends itself to its purpose, right? So you see that question mark that means, hey, this could be null. We've got the same thing with the nullable types. But the dollar sign... Money. Yeah, I saw like, are we talking about dollars? Are we talking about uh, finding elements on the page? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, so... Um, talking about buying some new Coke machines the for these the restaurants line? right here. Yeah, only if you're doing strings do you have to do that. So if you're doing something like a dictionary where you have an int and a string... You can actually do the curly braces and put the ints in brackets and then the string second. It's um, it's with strings where you have to put the dollar sign in front. So if you're doing object properties, so if this was a property of an object, you have to have the dollar sign 
and then the variable name equal the string. Um, yeah. And someone's got to say it. Well, no, because even in the this are you sure it, it was limited to strings? Because in the, in the Microsoft documentation, they use dollar for they they show dollar x equals three. So the key. So the, yeah, the key. You don't oh, but the key, the key, the key, the key. Yes, the key is what we're talking about. So if you're doing an array that actually has numbers, you don't have to do the dollar sign. Yeah, so maybe I'm just old school, man. But what's wrong with XML? I don't, I'm not a fan of XML. Oh come on, man! They got XSDs. It's it's like strongly <laughs> typed. Yeah, it's also extremely verbose when sometimes you don't need that. You know, you're doing the JSON parsing though. You just gotta kind of hope it works. You're like, I don't I don't know if this is gonna work. It worked on the one message I tried. That's so why the I dynamic hey, hey, dynamic variables and if, Newton if soft. Newton soft says it's so. <laughs> then it's off. so. There it is. Done. I'd rather that than XML. Uh, unless I'm unless I'm dealing with third parties that need you know strong XSDs and that kind of stuff, so I don't know whatever. Yeah, if I'm dealing with a third party, I'd much rather they have an XML API. Yes, uh, yeah, agreed. You can validate it. But if I'm doing my own app and it's you know using Web API or something like that, I'd much rather use it with JSON. It's easier from a from a UI standpoint, from JavaScript and all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's human readable too. <laughs> Which is nice if you're yeah. like a big XML document to scroll, scroll, scroll. No, yeah, it gets old. Or especially depending on your browser, spaces. you're like you know expand, collapse, expand, collapse. Oh, yeah. So, all, all right, right, so we beat that one to death. Um, the next one is actually kind of cool. I I don't think I'd ever really paid much attention to it, but await is now available in catch and finally blocks. Apparently, people had done like massive workarounds for this in the past. Um, and I don't know why I haven't run across this, but it's now there. You can use it. You can close. You can, you know, finish threads and close them out. So I'm going to use this one where I uh, await on all my binary literals. There you go. <laughs> it seems a little weird to me. Yeah, uh, you know, I always try to keep what's in my catch and finally blocks really light because I really don't want those to fail. You know, it's like something's already kind of failed or finishing up. So it's kind of to me, it seems like doing something a little risky. Um, where I don't like there to be risk, but you know, hey, that's me. But closing, I'm wrong constantly. I, I would think finishing up a thread that maybe was out there hung or something. A finally would be a good place to do that, right? To clean up the threads. Yeah, just but not but, by doing it by a wait. But you know, this I would rather one you're just doing kill it. You're awaiting on something, so you're making a new call on this one, right? Mm, not from the uh, not from the docs I saw. Did I misinterpret it? Was it saying that it was going to return from the await inside your catcher? So, finally? like the example given in the in the doc that's up on the Rosalind site. Yeah. So, like in the catch, they have await resource log async, and right. then in so the finally, launching, yeah, that's my point. They're they're doing a new. This is going to Joe's point about it being risky because they're doing that uh, asynchronous call and they're going to await for it inside of the catch, which you're already in a bad state. Yes. Because you're in your catch. But I think what they're trying now to do is... Now it's kind of risky. They're trying to see what's happening on that thread at that point. And then in the finally, they do um, await uh, res.close async. So they're closing it out. So they caught the problem. Then finally, they're going to close it. So I don't know. I mean, again, I I don't guess I've ever run into this issue. But, yeah. Uh, maybe you have. Uh, if, you, if you've if you got a good example of this, we'd love to hear it. This is definitely one that we uh, have struggled with a bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Who, who's doing this next one? 
Man, I think Joe. We could not find anything about this one. this was his favorite. Yeah. So I, I must have spent a good 20 minutes just now looking for it again. But somewhere along the line, we found uh, a new feature called Extension Add Methods. And we cannot find it again. We have no idea what this actually means. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it might just, just be a Just typo. like the name says. It has an add, add method. There's an extension it, to It couldn't something. possibly be any more clear. Yeah. yeah. It, no, I, man, we looked at some examples, and none of, they're about as clear as mud. So, yeah. Yeah, so we would love to hear uh, anything you've got on this. Uh, yeah. Educate us. Because we have nothing. Until then, we'll wait for, like, John Skeet to write the book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, John Skeet, if you're out there, we got a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and leave us a uh, review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, so, the next thing, uh, event initializers. This is pretty cool. Yep. And uh, this is for um, if you've seen, like, uh, you've basically just, um, like, constructor initializers. You're creating a new class. You do the bracket thing, and then you can set the properties right there uh, in lieu of a constructor. Uh, and I can do that with events as well. So, I- I'm a big fan of um, initializers. So, this is cool. Yeah, I like anything that makes a line of code shorter. I think there's a lot of these, though, that just aren't... Uh, I mean, they're nice. They yeah. make your I'm code not, cleaner. That's it. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, hey, thank you, Microsoft, for putting these features out there. I'm, I'm, don't don't take me wrong. Don't And don't take not, them out just because Outlaw's, like, right. poo-pooing it, on them. Exactly. <laughs> but a lot of these are features that... I'm not as excited. The safe navigation operator so far is the one that I'm the most excited about. But the, some no, of these other the ones. monadic mm, null checking. Is what I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, this seems. <laughs> the this, Mona Mona operator. This is not a game changing release. Yeah, this is sugar. This is quantity over. <laughs> I don't want to say quality because it, you know, it's really good features. But this is a lot of features. You know, we got around 20. But this, there's no links hidden in here. Well, and again, you know? there was a lot more than 20. Yeah, <laughs> there's really. I mean, most of this stuff is just shortcut ways to do things. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying, like, you know, a lot of these. So some of these were like, oh, I didn't even realize you couldn't do that already. It just right. never even tried. Yeah. You know, so a lot. some of these, ah, just can't get excited about it. Oh, the, but, Except well, for how that about binary literal, one? though. How about the next <laughs> The next one's pretty cool, though, the semicolon operator. This one took us a little while to find anything that really made sense to us, but eh. I think Joe actually dug up something on this one. Yeah, it's funny. I'm doing a lot of research on the semicolon operator and trying to find that specific to C-sharp. Um, everything you Google for basically directs you to the comma operator, which is common in stuff like JavaScript and Python. And apparently it's the same kind of thing. And what it means is um, if you've got um, an M semicolon N, uh, I know that translates really well over the wire, but um, it means that you would evaluate the first expression for its side effect and the second expression for its value. So an example of that be of that would be kind of the tomorrow thing we we mentioned before is now I can say var var tomorrow equals parentheses create a new variable var today equals date time dot now and then a semicolon then today date add one day and what that means is I've got this variable today that's being created in the first part of this line. And then I'm using that to kind of as a jumping off point for the second part of the line. And it's the second part of the line. Uh, that, and actually, it's whatever's on the far most right because you can chain these things together. Right. That's what gets finally returned to the initial you know, var tomorrow. So so this this one to me, when we were reading through it, it, it 
seemed like this was just yet another way to do an anonymous function. This yeah, is, is what it felt things. like. But what I question f- about this one, and this is where John Skeet can help us out, is that if, like, w- in your example where you did the var today inside of the parentheses, right? What's the scope of that? Is is to is that variable today limited to being scoped inside the parentheses or outside of those parentheses? Can it be, uh, you know, used a second time? Or what about inside of those parentheses? Can it? Does it have access to variables that are scoped inside of the method that it's in? Right? Yeah, and we have not been able to find the answer to that question. I feel like it's going to be um, basically the same scope that uh, the outer variables for because it's parentheses. If it was braces, I would expect it to be uh, right. scoped to the brace, but I've never seen anything where it's scoped to the parentheses. In fact, if you think of like a normal for loop and you say var i equals zero, you do have access to that throughout the scope of the following curly braces. So maybe that's not right. a good example. You're exactly, but that's exactly my point. Yeah, it's a bit confusing. So one of the, uh, and just so you know, you can't play with this one because this is one of the ones that is planned. So uh, this is all speculation on our part. Like we really don't know. Um, but it, so tying back into the one that we were talking about earlier with the out declaration thing, uh, I can't even remember what that one was called. Uh, uh, yeah, you're talking about declarations for params. Yeah, so one thing that you could do here that would be kind of interesting is you could say, uh, for instance, uh, int i equal, and then in the uh, parens you could say, um, uh, var uh, some number equals zero semicolon int dot parse you know whatever value and then out back to that variable some number right so you could accomplish the same type thing using this is what I was getting at earlier is you could almost basically do that same type try parse thing and out it to the number at the beginning that you defined but at the beginning of your semicolons. So it, I don't know. It, I think you kind of lost me on that one. Uh, I don't know if yeah yeah. You know, it seems like you can do a lot more in one line right now. Yes. I just have a hard time with the line because it's you know using a semicolon rather than something else. So it feels like two weird lines kind of smashed or multiple weird lines smashed into one. And with so the last be part being returned. Yeah. And I don't know. I, that one to me, it seems like a you know kind of an interesting feature, but at the cost of readability. So I'm not too keen on it. Imagine what this would look like inside your for loop. Uh, I already have it in my for loop. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying like if you were to use it inside of each portion, oh, the no. three portions of your for loop. No. And I imagine can't. if inside of there you used inside of this set of parentheses, you had two. Semicolons, so that it looks like uh, oh, like it. an actual. For I loop. refuse to imagine that. <laughs> you could make a for each statement that looked like a for loop. Um, yeah. Maybe resharple will have a, a command that I can use to right click and clean that crap up. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be like no. They get do that for out everything here. else. So. <laughs> yeah, but like, the scoping question is going to be interesting to see, like w- whatever comes of that. Yeah. So yeah, resharper needs a don't do that command. Hmm. All right, so I think Outlaw researched this next one quite a bit. I did. I did. Private protected. That's like awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of a conflicting name. It's it's almost like I'm oxymoron. Private it, protected. It hurts my head. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm a little torn. So the member is protected inside the assembly, but private outside the assembly. In English, please. <clears throat> okay, the member is protected inside the assembly, <laughs> but private outside the assembly. So okay, so let's let's back up. So because immediately the question became like, well, hold on, wait a minute, because if the variable is private, then it's it's uh, you know only accessible inside that class no child class can use it and if you're making it protected then you're going one step beyond and saying okay or, or you're given like one extra layer of uh access to it by saying like okay child children can access this now right which makes this sound confusing because now you're combining the two and you're saying like what does that mean right mm-hmm. so it's kind of like the protected internal where it was already uh in the language where it was an or right it was uh um, let me figure out how that was worded again. Was that the uh, protect for protected internal that already existed? The documentation stated that the type or member can be accessed by any code in the assembly in which it is declared, or from within a derived class. Right. So that's what this reminded me of. Is that now we're adding on like another or extension here? We're saying that it's it's protected uh, inside the assembly or it's private outside the assembly. So I've got a parent class, and it's got a protected method that does something. Now, what we're saying is anything that's inside that assembly can inherit that parent, and it can access that protected method. Yes. But if you're outside, and that that parent could be a public class, you're outside, you're in a different assembly, and you inherit that parent class, you cannot access those protected methods. Right. The Correct. private, the, yeah, the, the private, the private protected. protected methods. Yes. Right. Yes. So you because won't that feels like an internal, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like it's the, that's where the or portion comes in. So like the, 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 and that's why I brought up the protected internal because it's already in the language and it's treated kind of like an or syntax for your, or an or accessor on your, uh, member or method. And that's the way this one to me feels like another or option. Yeah. It's just a awkward phrasing private protected, but I guess if you read it from left to right, it's not so bad. So you remember to the outsiders, it's private insider. It's, it's protected. I'm still not crazy about the name. No. no. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, I don't really have a good suggestion for, yeah. for fixing it, but uh, we mm. could have made a new accessor method called like outsiders F off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never had this. I'm going to submit all my suggestions to Microsoft. Yeah, I can't think of a time where I would use this, but you know, I, if I, you're, uh, I don't know. I've never even almost had this come up. So yeah, <laughs> kind of interesting. Apparently, somebody has. So yeah, it's weird. I guess I would just normally use it as in, uh, market as internal, and then just not use it by anything else. But um, not yeah, except for children. Yeah, that's weird. But then, but then, children outside of your assembly. Uh, well. I just feel like I kind of already trust the stuff in my assembly, right? So to me, like internal seems like it's it's pretty well got that you know case covered. Yeah, sure, things that aren't my children can access it that may not make sense. Not great. So this is better, but the betterness that I'm buying, uh, I don't know if it's worth the Actually, un- unfortunate name. Hold up, if you're shipping a, a library or something that you made that other companies bought or something, I can see where this would probably come up. You want all your internal stuff that you built yourself to be able to access that information, but outside you don't want them to be able to see your internal implementation variables. But then I would just make it protected. No, but covered. then but then the 
outside of the assembly, if they inherited your class, they'd still be able right. to get still be able to, to touch it. it. Yeah. So it's just weird that like I want you to be able to inherit my class, but I don't want you touching my protected methods. Like that's weird. Well, no, no, not not necessarily just methods. It might be methods, but it could also be variables, right? The the I I don't know. I, I could see like yep. that seems to be the, more the type thing where if you're shipping components to other people. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't see a use for it. Yeah, it, the it naming's seems like rough. It, it seems valuable. It's just the naming that yeah, I have a problem rough. with because yeah. they the two names contradict one another. Yeah, completely. I mean, like like okay to to illustrate my point further, let's say that it was private public. <laughs> all right and okay, they, so it's and private to the outside world and public to my uh, or you assembly. show your privates in public uh, no, it's you, probably, know, we should probably cut. you know if it was if it was private public to illustrate the point right <laughs> it's it, it's really gross and that's what that's the way this feels uh, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't seem like they belong together they don't. it's like get your chocolate out of my peanut butter <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, the wheels uh, came off still, the bus. Yeah, I'm still <laughs> laughing about the other thing. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep us centered here. Back. Sorry about that. All right. So uh, yeah, uh, and then the last thing. So we beat that one to death too. The last one. Name of operator. This one's. I, uh, this one's okay. I mean, Michael doesn't like it too much. Um, it's eh. it's like a shortcut reflection method. You have some sort of object, and you want to quickly get um, basically the name of that object or maybe a method in it. And, you know, say that you got something back from a factory, and you don't really know what the type or any of that is, and you want to find out, like, I don't know, quickly where that method came from so that you could log it in case something went wrong. Then you could call name of and then do that instance. So so this is referred to as the infoof uh, operator. Right, if you say so. That's what it is. Info of. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't make this crap up. <laughs> the info operator. But that's what that that's the way that that's the way uh, Microsoft says it in one of their blogs. The the did uh, it have like a, a little voice button on there that you clicked and it said info. Well, the the, the the they they whimsically insist that it be pronounced info. Nice. nice. Okay. Um. But yeah, you know, this one seems like the the greatest benefit here is uh, your ability to refactor later will accept the change, you know, easily without you having to go looking through like uh, string literals in your code mm-hmm. or in your comments. Yeah, yeah. Well, here you go. Pop quiz: How do you actually write out the name of a method like to the console? Oh, yeah, you got to Google it, right? Oh, yeah. God. No, you don't. There, there, yeah, now you got name of. <laughs> no, I've never actually done that. So, you know. I mean, it, it's 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 reflection boiled down to its easiest possible way, right? Oh, yeah, I, I think there's uh, like some, some stack frames coming. Yeah, it's, it's definitely pretty gross. Well, that's if you want to get the current method, um, like the method that you're in. Which is probably what you're. Well, I thought that's where you were going with your with your uh, your your pop quiz hot shot. Oh yeah, I I deliberately (laughs) misled you. I don't apologize. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. I just shot the hostage for nothing. (laughs) And and so with those, those are the however many we've got because they're not numbered properly. Um, We've got links to all these type things. Uh, The the list of them from above. We've also got an explanation on some of the more. Uh, 
weird ones. And then there's also a complete feature explanation, and these are all coming from either Microsoft or Codeplex with the Roslyn information. So uh, now, what, what are we doing? We're talking uh, about Roslyn. Yeah. I mean, so how, all these how features, could this show end features. without talking about Roslyn? Yeah, and uh, what we're talking about here, all these uh, these 20-ish features that we talked about are all things that come along with the uh, Roslyn compiler that um, everything's switching over to, the Visual Studio switching over to. And uh, I heard on um, a po- couple podcasts, I'm not sure which one it was anymore, but we'll have links, that um, uh, Microsoft's been using um, the Roslyn compiler, like basically dogfooding it in-house for quite a while. And these are new features that they've been adding in and that uh, we're getting these new features along with Roslyn. And um, kind of some of the bigger news around there is that uh, the build conference that just happened in 2014 um, in April, um, they actually made this project completely open source, which is very cool. It's under the Apache 2 license, which is really permissive, which is really cool. And I'm really excited to see what kind of stuff happens around like Xamarin and Mono and, you know, who knows. Well, now that Xamarin's part of Microsoft. Are they? Wasn't it? Oh, no. or, Or which one did they just buy? Was it Mono or Xamarin? No, I, Xamarin. Thought was, I thought it was just rumors, but Wait, I, I thought do some Googling. I thought no, Xamarin no, no, no. was associated with Mono somehow. No, I mean, it was... Um, don't <laughs> I don't know anymore. Now. Jeez. Oh, yeah, goodness. but one way or the other, the the cool thing is yeah. with open sourcing that... What? Hmm? Whatever, go on. What you got? No, uh, no go on. Uh, okay. So, yeah, but um, some of the research I was trying to do is uh, Roslyn's been talked about for a long, long time, many years. So I was hoping to find some sort of bullet points and just said, you know, here's what Roslyn is. But I didn't find uh, a real concise statement. There's, there's a couple things you hear thrown around, like it's a compiler as a service. It's a open source compiler. It allows you to write your own operators and it allows you to do this, allows you to do that. But it doesn't really, you know, fit well in the definition of the kind of things that I usually think of. You know, I can't really say that it's just a compiler. Yeah. It's really built into Visual Studio and there's a lot of other stuff to it. Well, it was a compiler written in the languages that it actually compiles, right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's it's turning complete. Is that the expression where you can build yourself out of yourself? Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, I mean, the compiler was written in C-sharp and it can compile C-sharp. And it also... um, one of the big things that they were talking about was the fact that uh, it will actually examine the code, and and I forget exactly how they put it now, but essentially you can almost like write your own Visual Studio type thing out of this because it has the plugs for doing the formatting and the syntax checking and all that kind of stuff. So, well, so uh, you know, as far as the Xamarin thing going back there, it looks like that was just mostly rumor, but uh, they definitely partnered together okay. at the build, so there was announcements related to that, but. You know, what I'm really excited about here, though, that I hope to see come out of it, is I'm hoping that this gives C-sharp more of an opportunity to be uh, more cross-platform if, if others were to take that in uh, that open-source compiler and import it to, you know, other environments. Yeah, Linux, Mac, whatever. That's, that's what I'd like to see. Same here. Because, um, I mean, really, what are the only cross-platform things we have right now? You have Java and... Well, but that... so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. I get, you still need the runtime. Uh, yeah, yeah. The compiler only takes it down to the to the managed code part. So, yeah, yeah no. it's gonna be curious to see like what does this really mean though. But you know, the 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 hope I have inside is that it would allow for C sharp to become more widespread and and you know the adoption rate to go up because when I look at 
C sharp compared to uh, other languages like Objective C. Oh God! Oh my God! Don't get me started. I was at least going to start you know with something nicer because you know Alan mentioned Java. And, you know when when you look at C sharp compared to that to Java, and let's not even talk about Objective C. Then you know I mean C sharp is a it's very elegant in the way that you can write uh, your, your your code. And I'm not saying that you can't write nice code in Java, but what I mean is that there's just some features about it that are just so much more elegant about the way that they go about solving the problem. And, and I hope my goal, my my hope is that it would become more widespread. And I'm hoping that open sourcing Roslyn is the the starting point to that happening. But we'll see. Well, right? from the compiler standpoint, I mean, it, like you said, that's just com- Piling the code that's not running the yeah, code. Yeah, I know, anywhere. and that's why I said that. So it's like I, it's it's kind of like a. <laughs> it almost feels like an empty promise, right? Because like when when Microsoft first uh, announced .NET, you know, way back when, right? They they um, not open source the specification. What would the term be for it? But I mean, they definitely put out the specification for the CLR, mm. so that if others wanted to implement it, then here's the spec for it, and you can do it. And so far. Of all the companies that have taken, oh wait, no other companies have actually done much with it. So, <laughs> you know, it, it hasn't really been widespread in terms of you know cross-platform development, which is unfortunate because it is such a nice language to code in. Yeah, I would it's, love to see it's, it. Spread. It's absolutely my preferred language of choice. It's just you can't use it everywhere. Yeah, it's on Windows. So. Which, yeah, and um, so you know that's like the open source kind of side of it, but I'm still really just trying to wrap my head around like what exactly where where Roslyn fits in because uh, one of the cooler blog uh, blog posts I saw um, was from uh, I guess <laughs> I don't want to call the guy smell elegant, but uh, that's the <laughs> name of the blog. But uh, he actually goes uh, goes in and uh, adds his own operator overload for adding two arrays together, and he uh, he adds this feature to the compiler. And then you actually see uh, he takes a screenshot of what the code looks like in Visual Studio for his project, and it's got the you know the red squeaklies like you can't do this, this doesn't exist, you can't add two arrays. He goes, he adds it to the compiler, and Visual Studio picks up on the compiler, and it's now it's it's a good thing. It looks right, it works, and uh, it's that's really cool. He just added something into the actual language, and uh, I, that's really cool. But it, especially with the Visual Studio play there, I'm just like kind of wrapping my head around where this fits. Yeah, and, and one thought that I had was that, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to bring up, uh, you know, going back to my rant from a moment ago, that, uh, oh, well, you know, there's mono, so that could be cross-platform. But I'm, I was talking about something that might be more first-class citizen. Mono always seemed like, you know, hey, hey, let's decompile it and figure out how we can Try make to this keep work up. somewhere else. Right, right. You know? Although decompilers are really good. And I think Microsoft's always been really good about not obfuscating their code. I've never um, tried to um, decompile any of their stuff and had a bad time of it. So well, but again, though, well. again, though, my point though is that if Microsoft is open sourcing this thing, then it's a first class citizen. It's not, hey, we're reverse engineering what uh, they've done in order to make this work over here. Right. Here's the code. Do what right. you want with it. Yeah. yeah. The, here's the original code. Do what you want with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm interested to see it. But um, it wasn't just Roslyn that they open sourced either. Uh, um, Alan's got actually a really big list of 24 uh, other open source initiatives. That he'd like to say to you now. Yeah, I'm not going to read all of them. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you this. It's at uh, www.netfoundation.org. 
and some of the more interesting ones. So uh, the two people that or two companies that have basically put into this are Microsoft and Xamarin. So Xamarin, I think they said, put six projects into this, but they're all open source. So some of the bigger ones that you'll recognize are ASP.NET MVC. You'll be able to get the source code. ASP.NET Web API. It's another big one. Um, they have some things for Hadoop. Entity Framework. Entity Framework is open source. The Windows Phone Toolkit, which kind of surprised me. Um, Xamarin.mobile. Uh, what else? Signal R. If you don't know what that is, it's kind of cool. It's like an open web socket to a browser so you have real-time communication. The Azure SDK. Yeah, Azure's in there. Um, I mean, it, and it'd be nice if I spelled it right. So I uh, guess we are going to talk about all of these. <laughs> not, not completely. So, I mean, those are some of the bigger ones. I mean, there's some other that aren't quite as as um, jump out at you, but I, I don't know. It's kind of cool that they are opening up a lot of these libraries so that if you want to go in there and poke around and figure out how they work and extend them to do other things, you have access to do it now. But but again, like this is and this is where my hope comes in, right, is that this is all great, and, I, and I, I'm glad that they do it, but what I really would like to see is this thing to become useful on other platforms too, right? So that the adoption rate really k- kicks off. So I right. don't have to use Objective-C. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, because the thing is, the whole idea is, well, any open source, right? It, the, whole, the whole idea is you get a community involved, and they come up with needs that that maybe never would have made it in because Microsoft looked at it and said, hey, we, we don't have enough demand for this. But but now the community can help build this thing up. So I don't know. It, it would be awesome if, you know, these features get added and then they all of a sudden, instead of just being limited to a Windows environment, now you see it pop up on Linux or Mac. I, I mean, that would be excellent. So I don't know. We'll see how this goes. From what I understand, this is brand new. The .NET Foundation is, I mean, it just just came about so hey, yeah i guess we have a, a little bit of waiting and seeing yep and also i think this opens the door to a lot of stuff i haven't really thought about yet um one thing that springs to mind is that JetBrains, um who make the resharper that we always talk about and love very much they actually um posted an article talking about how they're not going to be switching over resharper to roslyn because they've got a lot of time invested in um, their current compiler but what I hadn't even realized until this point is, oh, they've got their own kind of C-sharp compiler built in and that's going out and doing a lot of these things. And this is how we get those extra features. But it makes me wonder, like, well, what kind of other stuff can you do with a compiler besides, you know, syntax highlighting and, and refactoring type stuff? So maybe we'll see a lot of other really cool tools kind of come out of this. Mm-hmm. I love the, the ReSharper. Yeah, the bar- yeah, the barrier to entry is now lower. So I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's exciting. Yeah, that's about it for Roslyn. So uh, there were a lot of resources, and we mentioned a lot of these, but we just want to kind of gather them up here at the end. Um, we talked about uh, Damien G. Uh, he's got a great blog post on um, the probable C-sharp features, and they're all actually really illustrated and done up really nicely. Um, uh, John Ski actually has got a really great blog on his first reactions where he kind of um, gives his uh, in-depth opinions on a few of the features. This is really cool. And we've got uh, an article from Hanselman. Um, it's really good. We've also, speaking of Hanselman, uh, there was an episode of Hanselman's and .NET Rocks that we'll have links to where they actually um, interviewed someone from the Roslyn team that kind of talks about 
what Roslyn is and, um, you know, what things are, are looking like for the future. Uh, with that, why don't we uh, go to the tips of the week? What you got, outlaw? <laughs> As C Sharp are often, developers are often uh, intertwined with Java developers. Uh, should you find yourself using IntelliJ uh, as your IDE of choice for uh, your Java development, which is also another JetBrains product, uh, I found this site called uh, ideacolorthemes.org that uh, was mentioned on a Stack Overflow uh, question where you could go in and get uh, themes for your IntelliJ environment that other people had already put together. So, you know, depending on what kind of color scheme you liked, uh, you know, maybe you'll find it there. So you can keep your color scheme uh, consistent among like IntelliJ, AppCode. You know, uh, I use WebStorm too, which is really nice. Pretty sharper. Yeah, I mean, there, it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like the end all be all of, of uh, lists. You know, of available choices. You know, I mean, there are certainly limitations there, but uh, you know, it, it was definitely like a, a nice starting point if you wanted to poke around because IntelliJ out of the box only comes with like a, uh, I think three, um, uh, you know, f- uh, uh, themes. Oh, you guys use the dark theme in Visual Studio, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. I, I I I'm trying it right now. I still don't like it. It oh, takes a while no, to adjust, it's, but it's, it's so, so much easier awesome. on your eyes. Oh man, it's awesome. And and so IntelliJ has one that's that's called uh, like uh, Darkula, but it's not quite at the same level as as Visual Studio. I'm impressed you said that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. But I did. All right. So my tip of the week was uh, I was trying to do some debugging, and one of the things that's frustrating is when you're trying to initialize objects. A lot of times it'll just step right over it. You even try to left let f11 into um the different properties and it just skips over it well if you go into your options debugging options and you dig into some of the uh one of the sub menus and there there is actually a section to where you can tell it to uh not skip the property initializers so then you can actually step through each property that's being set in your object initializer which is really nice because i had some situations come up where uh you know my object was failing i kept ending up in my in my catch and i was getting really irritated because it would say that there was a a cast error well when you got 20 properties it's like oh come on of course it's going to be the 19th one right so um Turning that feature on allows you to step through some of it. Now, the, the the odd thing is this didn't work in every situation, and I can't explain why that happens, but I would say that at least 75% of the time it did work. So, again, that's probably an option worth checking out, especially if you have object initializers all over the place. So that's mine. So is this the uh, step over properties and operators that you're referring to? That is it. So to go to that, you would go to... Uh, your debug menu options and settings and then under general you will find step over properties and operators and then in parentheses managed only yep so when you check that actually check it don't uncheck it it will let you go through each one individually mm. yeah i thought it was it was skipping was the, that's what that's why it's not very clear yeah it's, it's the 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 check is step over properties and operators so you're saying that you want to un because it was 
Default checked on mine. Uh, I can't. Maybe remember. that's a Studio 2013 feature that it's default uh, checked. Mine's yeah, that might be it. Mine's 2012. There's definitely some default changes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, checking means that you actually get to go through each one of them. If I remember right, yeah, it says step over, which seems unclear, and that's why I'm. That's why this was sort of muddy, huh? Yeah, we'll find. We'll have a little screenshot there in the in the show notes. Yeah. All right, and also, um, I wanted to throw out. Uh, I guess it's kind of recommending the competition in a way, but uh, there's two podcasts that I've discovered in like the last two months, and I finally just caught up on both of them. But they're uh, both really excellent. Uh, the first is the Full Stack podcast, and this is really cool because you got one guy who works on the server side and one guy who works on the front end and uh, they kind of uh, share their perspective from, or they talk about different topics from both of their respective uh, perspectives. So that's really cool. And also the John Morris show who uh, he ends up talking a lot about, um, he does these, uh, these really cool monologues kind of about things in the, the coding world from kind of like a freelancer uh, position, but it's a, uh, it's often the kind of things that are like, around coding that's not uh hung up in like the semicolons and, and that sort of thing so he's going to talk a lot about like motivation and learning new skills and and that sort of thing and just a really cool podcast so i want to give those guys shout outs so go download uh yeah i'm adding that right now so all right so with that we'll be putting uh the links in the show notes and be sure to subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and more using your favorite app and uh, be sure to give us reviews as well. We really appreciate those. Those go a long way to help us out. Thank you, Johnny Moniker. <laughs> oh, and also the uh, the actual web or the uh, the page for this particular one will be www.codingblocks.net slash episode 10. So be sure to check that out. Um, and con- uh, contact us with a question or a topic. If uh, you leave your name and preferred method of shout-out, be it website, Twitter, whatever, We'll be sure to mention you on the podcast so you get some love there. And uh, please do leave us a review on iTunes. If you do that and we see that, you know, you might even get a little bit more love on the show. So, uh, and also on Stitcher. Um, and and uh, send us your feedback, questions, and rants to uh, email address, comments at codingblocks.net. And uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at codingblocks and uh Tweet us your links and articles and anything cool you find, and we'll share it on the show and give you some props. Yeah. So, so this uh, John Morris, there's actually two John Morris podcasts. Yeah, uh, and that's that was actually really there's annoying because I John Morris on. show, and then there's the John Morris show, and it's the John Morris show that is specific to coding. Right, and I found them I think on uh, Stitcher initially. And then I went to iTunes and I downloaded the wrong one and I was very confused. Yeah, because that's going to be a ESPN uh, broadcaster that you'd, you'd get from that one. Right. <laughs> yeah, very different. And, and also, so the, they, I think so the, the coding might be talked about a little bit less than the ESPN one. Right. <laughs> and uh, I could be wrong, but so it's really I think coding the, light. Uh, the full stack podcast is actually not on Stitcher. So um, that's uh, unfortunate for me because I have I've really become addicted to Stitcher. So, oh, well. Is that a JetBrains product? <laughs> that's it <laughs> there are a few products i like that JetBrains doesn't make well i guess that about wraps it up guys uh we got about an hour left until i turn into a pumpkin so uh have oh a good night. oh oh no, no wait before we wrap up though our next show is going to be on uh creational patterns. patterns yeah so we've dun, got dun, dun. we've got uh so outlaws doing the oh no we're all doing them it's not like i'm no, on no, my own doing, but which one but, 
I'm I'm coming to defense of my boy Singleton because mm-hmm. everybody's on him about oh you're an anti pattern. <laughs> Not everyone, you mean me? <laughs> yes. yes. I'm like oh you know what f that that's my boy Singleton. Don't be messing with him. Oh you know I just typed in here Singletons are in Google. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Evil bad. <laughs> Pathological liars. That's my favorite. <laughs> I, I read that article actually. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, and then Joe has got. Uh, wow, that's awesome! It really does say pathological liars. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. Wow. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I I, uh, I kind of like. Um, I don't know. I guess the prototype pattern. <laughs> no, that, wait. That's your favorite pattern in the no, creational well, series. No, which one are you doing? Well, so originally we talked about doing uh, doing a pattern each, but then we kind of switched it up so it was like, you know, just the creational patterns. But now there's an, there's too many creational patterns for us. I didn't think. We oh no, no, we'll, we'll spread that across multiple episodes. So the very next one, though. So Outlaw's doing Singleton. Joe's doing Factories. No, 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 that's mine. <laughs> I got the factory. <laughs> oh, you set me up here. <laughs> all right, then we're running. Low. I, I guess I got a builder. All right, yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah. we, hey, we'll all talk about it. I'm, I'm feeling great about it, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, definitely check back with us and uh, subscribe to us because we've got some cool stuff. And the cool thing about this next series of podcasts that we're going to be doing is they're going to be language agnostic. They won't matter, right? I mean, this is the same type of design patterns that you'd see in Java, C Sharp, whatever. It's going to be out there, so. Uh, yeah, that's a wrap. But not in Objective-C. Apparently nothing good happens in Objective-C. <laughs> Dave transcended. Uh, all right, yeah. yeah. Boop, boop.